What's up? All right. What's going on? We're here, dude. Is that the, uh, that's the new crib? This is the new crib. Yeah. yeah. I like moved it. In. Thanks, dude. I like it. What, I think, is this like, uh, is this like a spare bedroom or that you have? Uh, the, yeah. The so this is the, the second bedroom for the house and we intend to use it as an office. And this was like the bed that we had in our apartment. And then we moved here, we upgraded the bed and stuff. And so we put this one in here for now in case nice. guests wanted it. But um, we're actually, we're closing on like an Airbnb property. Yeah, I saw weeks. that. Yeah. I saw that. That's awesome. Dude, so excited. But we're going to take this bed there and yeah. it's going to be there. And then we're going to turn this into a proper office. And it's so out of got, the city, right? The one you have? Yeah. yeah. It's it's like 45 minutes outside of Austin. So, but it's actually like, dude, it's perfect because it's 45 minutes outside of Austin, but it's still about 25 minutes to the airport. Yep. So if people are flying in, it's really easy to get to. Great for South by and stuff. And Plus, then, people want to be like you know a little bit out now. You, like oh, it, exactly, it, yeah. It's like a, it's like a, a perk now. Whereas before, it used to be like, oh, it's forty five minutes outside the city. Now it's like, yay, it's forty five minutes outside <laughs> the city. <laughs> Seriously, I feel like COVID made everyone appreciate nature so much more. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing about it. I mean, there's uh, there's been some some good things. I mean, I, I actually, in a weird <laughs> way, well. I mean, we could definitely uh, get more into this, but in like a weird way, it helped in my situation a lot. And it made me think about like, uh, made me think, haha, we're back. <laughs> um, <laughs> made me think about like uh, disabled people, right? And how like it's, it's, it, they can't really travel for work or they can't necessarily go to an office. And in, in a strange way, this is like a equalizer, right? Because yeah, now you're, you're not really expected. Yeah, you're not expected to go. So it's like, as long as you have access to the internet and a computer and, you know, can type or, or, uh, speak, right. There's like a lot you can do, um, uh, which maybe was off limits before, right. Or like more difficult. Seriously. So yeah, there's like, it's, it, it, it is a different world and it's obviously, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> we probably don't fully understand where it's going or where it is even. Uh, but it's like your point about nature. I think like that's a positive, um, uh, People are getting out more. They're getting, you know, instead of necessarily going to, uh, you know, spending a Friday night and a Saturday night at a bar, right? There's like yeah, other right. stuff people are doing. So not like that's not fun. I mean, I, no, I think no, that sounds good. Too. Sounds good right about <laughs> now. But um, it's nice that like, I, I don't know about you. Like, I feel like we, well, I feel like we both were like this. Like we did enjoy that type of stuff, but we also enjoyed, um, you know, some things that are, are definitely still, you know, possible in a COVID type of world. Yeah. No, I, so I want to keep that thread going, but I yep. also want to do a very yeah. <laughs> quick setup because I, I figured like, we'll just, we'll just keep everything. All right. Like I've been recording since you hopped on yep. and I, you know, for anybody new to the podcast, that's going to be confusing and disorienting until they get to this part. <laughs> but for any longtime listeners, it's going to be expected. Um, I hope we get one angry review about this. This will be somebody's <laughs> like, I've tried listening to the most recent episode and it's just a bunch of friends or two friends. No talking. intro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is how they relaunch their podcast. <laughs> well, if they you want to unsubscribe, <laughs> you want to unsubscribe, go ahead and do that. We only want the people who, uh, who enjoy our banter to be here. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long journey for you. And as a made you think fan. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, I, I looked up when the last episode was and 
It was May 9th of It was uh, Laws of May Human 21st. Nature. Was it Laws of Human Nature? Is that, or no, it was Infinite Jest. That was the Infinite last Jest. Yeah, the yeah. Infinite Jest follow-up episode was yeah. May 21st. So it's been over a year. It's been a year and, what, three months? Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time. That was a, also a weird uh, episode. In the, I'm sure you get this, too. Like, I still get emails from people who come across that episode or DMs or, like, messages i think there's like a there's a lot of interest in that book but there's a real lack of content uh, yeah. out there i mean there is a lot of content out there too we found that in for the follow-up episode but um I, it's one of those books like once somebody goes down the rabbit hole right there they they keep going i mean it, yeah, exactly. it, was a, it was a great episode it was a good episode but it's crazy i mean it's it's been a long time a year and three months since that last one so i mean i think we kind of uh, I mean, should we even like set the state? Like, what is this podcast for anybody who's just showing? I, I would say like, if, if you're seeing us tweeting about this and you didn't know about it from a year and a half ago, you just go listen to some of the old episodes Yeah, because that's just going to give you the best context. I mean, normally what we're doing here is Neil and I are reading a, a an interesting or somewhat challenging book or article or something and then talking about it, kind of like sharing takeaways or album. Yeah, actually the Kanye episode is great. I would recommend that one. Um, I recommend them all. They're all good. Yeah. But there's some, are, there's <laughs> some that are a little heavier, right? Like there's some like, what was it? The um, crime? Well, no, not crime and punishment. Uh, discipline and discipline and punish. Yeah, yeah that's a <laughs> that's a heavy one. Um, that's a heavy one. Denial of death is kind of heavy. That uh, there's like the Hiroshima one that we did. Oh yeah, Hiroshima Diaries. Heavy. That one's tough. Uh, but there's some good ones. Like there's some lighthearted ones. I would say not good. They're all oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, college dropout. That's a, that was a fun one. It's great. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, go through the archive. I, we've we've heard from some people that they uh, they end up going through all the episodes. So if that's you, we'll see you in about a hundred hours. I think probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody <laughs> mentioned the other day that they've listened through the entire uh, what do we call it discography yeah, twice. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's I don't a even lot. Think my that's mom would do that. Two hundred forty. Two hundred. That's a lot of hours of audio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You want to know something but, crazy though? We, yeah. so we haven't recorded anything since May 2009. Our daily downloads are almost exactly the same. Wow. Since then? Since then, we're still getting 100 to 200 a day. And when we stopped recording, we were getting like 150 to 250 a day. Wow. So we're pretty close. And dude, we're. We're a few days away from 250,000 total downloads. <laughs> Thank you, everybody who's listening. It's pretty neat. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. It's You know what the coolest thing is? And this is this is true about like the internet, not just the podcast. But uh, I think when we started, we thought it would just be like, you know, I remember it was like a NatChat extension, basically, right? It was... Yeah, it was, it yeah. was just like, uh, hey, it would be fun if we talked about anti-fragile for an episode of that chat and just like blew every other episode out of the water well but we were also just thinking we were like i don't think we expected it to be uh something that would attract a lot of different people like i don't know i at least thought it would just be a smallish audience like you know a nice little niche podcast which it is definitely a niche podcast but it's it's so interesting like seeing that there's so many like-minded people right who are like maybe not like-minded in every way but they're like-minded in the sense that um they like things that make you think so Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's it's just been cool. Like two hundred fifty thousand downloads is a is an interesting milestone, but it's uh, just been a pretty fun journey. And uh, I mean, I'm really glad we're starting to pick it back up. 
Yeah. So should we, I guess we should share the plan, right? I mean, yeah. cause you yeah. and I had talked about this kind of on and off for a while and like a lot of false starts and things. Yep. And I, I think, you know, what, what you pinpointed those insightful was that the original schedule for this podcast was actually insane. It was insane. In hindsight, I don't know how, like, what were we thinking? Well, uh, yeah, I it mean, was, we, we did make it happen. We made it happen. Yeah, we, it was, yeah. we did it. But like when we started it, I, I really wasn't doing growth machine yet, or right. I had just started it, but it wasn't much of a company and you were early on in unlimited brewing. So I think we had more time Yes, where, yeah. Yeah, we did. where we could read a book a week and have a two to three hour discussion on it. Right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. And then as things ramped up, uh, yeah, then continuing to do that, which we did. I just know there were certain weeks we were, I, I think I even told you, like, I would be finishing the book, like, right before the episode. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It just became kind of, like, unsustainable. So, I think the new plan, right, is do something every three to four weeks, something yep. we can actually stick to and, you know, take it easy. I mean, because I remember when we started, we were saying we should do once a week because that's how much you post a podcast to get an audience. But... Yeah. We haven't posted in a year and three months, and we're still <laughs> getting all these downloads. So I think yeah, we're okay. I think, I think also for the scale podca- back. Like podcasts have evolved. I feel like since we started too, because that was, I mean, what was that? 2017, right? That was yeah. It was a long time ago. So I think it was. Oh, maybe our impression was that it had to be a you know every week or very regular schedule. Um, you know, not all of us are as insane as, as Joe Rogan to do three episodes a week. Right. Uh, but I mean, you, there's so many other types of like podcast is uh, such an, it's evolved so much since 2017, right? Like you have Dan Carlin who does an episode. It seems like every, what, like every six months or something, but yeah, uh, but they're so good. Right. So uh, there's a balance, like, you know, everybody has to balance out like what, the, what else is going on. Plus um, the preparation. Cause I think, that's something we talked about even before we, uh, we, we decided to start back up. It's like, it wasn't the actual recording that was tough. Um, it was the, it, it was like to do the episode. Well, you really have to prepare. Like we, I mean, I, I can't speak for you Nat, but I'm sure your answer is pretty similar. Like, you know, we always read the books that we were doing, yeah. like we were not, you know, skimming online notes or looking at other people's notes and, uh, just using that to do the discussion. Like we were reading the book and then many times we were looking st- other stuff up and bringing it to the episode. So yeah. it's a, it was a lot of prep work. Yeah. And I think to do it well, it requires that much prep work. Oh yeah. And yeah. we, we want to do it well and we want to read the tougher books. One thing yeah. that we had to do sometimes that I didn't love that we had to do is we would say, okay, we want to read Atlas Shrugged or Infinite Chest <laughs> yeah, or whatever. So one, yeah. we're going to schedule some short books or short articles in between to give ourselves the bandwidth to read the big books. And I like what we're doing now where we're saying, okay, we're just going to do it every three to four weeks. That's going to give us a lot more time to actually finish the material and, you know, come uh, really well prepared for without feeling rushed. And I think also just making sure that we don't turn reading into a, an unenjoyable activity. I know that like pushing myself through infinite jests so that we could do the episode I like didn't read a book for two months after that. Yep. I needed yep. <laughs> a complete break from reading, which is not desirable either, right? Yeah, especially like that type of book that's so, uh, de- I don't know, I don't want to use the word dense, but it, it's not dense. It's just heavy. like all consuming, heavy. Yeah. yeah, it's not like, yeah, it kind of, 
this is going to make it sound bad. It's going to make people not want to read it. But yeah, I, I needed the break as well uh, after. So yeah, it's, I mean, and not every book was like that, right? I mean, some are, mm-hmm. some were pretty quick or, or uh, light or whatever. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> many of them were, were uh, monsters, which I think that's part of, well, and you guys can tell us if this is true or not. Uh, but I get the sense from people's comments and uh, tweets and stuff that like, that's part of what people appreciate is that we take on the harder books. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So I won't, like, I don't want to stop doing that. Right. I don't want to start doing like fluffy books just because, <laughs> just because we need to like get through one every week. Our next episode uh, is going to be, you are a badass. By yeah. Sarah. <laughs> or outliers or something. like. There we go. <laughs> We're just going to go to the airport by the yeah. <laughs> dumbest looking pop business book we can find. The and, sad thing is like those books sell so well. I don't know. Oh I don't gosh, even get me yeah. started Millions that. of copies. Don't even get me started on that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> there. it's almost like, um, to, it's, it's actually similar to music in some sense, right? Cause it's like somebody can have an incredible mixtape that like, you know, the hardcore fans really like, or, or just something that like, isn't pop popular. Right. And, but then like to get that mainstream success hit, they kind of have to thread the needle between, uh, or actually they don't even have to thread the needle. Sorry. To get that mainstream success hit and keep your fans happy, (laughs) you know, your original fans happy, you have to thread that needle. And I feel like, yeah, for authors, it's kind of like that too, right? Like you have the, um, what's, I don't even know a good example, maybe like Mark Manson or somebody like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Somebody like people who are, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to like throw anybody under the bus <laughs> either, but it's like, you know, basically there, there's, there's authors who've written, you know, great blogs or very well followed blogs. And, um, then they want to get like a mainstream success, uh, book. And sometimes those books get more pop ish and you yeah. know, that's what sells well at the airport. Oh, definitely. Play, I'll hate the player. No. Don't blame it at all. It's just like it's you have to find that balance between you know making money and doing yeah, the work you want to do. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, on a similar note, I've been seeing that kind of with like TikTok. I don't know if you've noticed this too, and I've seen other people point this out as well. But artists are making songs shorter, and with mm. sometimes like very catchy beats and hooks, so that they play well as TikTok dances. And because like when, there's a couple things in there, right? Like when a song is shorter, you end up, people end up playing it more, which boosts its stance on like Spotify charts. And then also songs with like certain kinds of beats do very well as TikTok dances, which helps them spread. And like, it seems like at least on Spotify, the top hits list is just a list of what's popular on TikTok these days, (laughs) which like speaks to the power of people using it to, you know, create mixes and songs. And then they like see a certain dance on TikToks and they go to Spotify and they're playing the song on repeat to practice the dance. Yep. And I don't know. It's just, it's kind of a really interesting, like co, what would we call it? Like, like a, a co-viral loop, loop in some way. Yeah. Loop? yeah. That would be a crazy acquisition if like Microsoft acquired TikTok and Spotify and then yeah. kind of like merged that data together. That, would that makes be... more sense than the the version I heard. The version I heard was in play was uh, Twitter and TikTok. Yeah, I've heard a few things. I've heard Twitter. Uh, I've heard Microsoft. I've heard Oracle. No, no, I meant I meant uh, Microsoft looking at Twitter and TikTok. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, which that doesn't make as much sense to me as what you just said. Like what you just said makes so much more sense. Because yeah. they, because Twitter they and TikTok play are, well together. I mean, they're Twitter and TikTok are kind of separate. Like they're not literally really, polar opposites. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's like uh, <laughs> that's 
that's like something that makes sense on like a deck or something, right? You'd be like, well, we want to enter social media and like, well, what are the two, you know, the two options, uh, you know, Twitter, you could say, cause it's relatively cheap, uh, compared to these others and TikTok, obvious for obvious reasons. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but like they don't, there's nothing enhanced by owning both of them, I guess. Right. Like, whereas Spotify, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it would cost to buy Spotify, but yeah, Spotify plus TikTok would be like, I don't know. That'd be really cool. Actually. That's a good question. Yeah. How much does Spotify cost? I'm going to look up its market cap. Yeah. I looked at, I looked at this a few uh, weeks ago was like after Facebook's earnings. Cause like I've, I've had Twitter and Facebook for a long, about the same amount of time. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little. Maybe I've had Twitter a little longer. I don't know. I I didn't get in Facebook right when they went public, but uh, maybe a couple years later. And then um, Twitter, I've been in for a long time, like just because I love it as a user. So mm-hmm. I've just been, you know, just every every quarter, I'm like, this is the quarter it shoots up. <laughs> uh, but it's literally been in the same range. Like my cost base, I've just bought it over the years, and the cost base is about thirty, and it's like forty right now. Right. And like Facebook, you look at the five year chart and it's like, I forget, like six or seven times higher than yeah. what it was five years ago. Uh, and even though I hate Facebook as a company, like I, I log on to Facebook, like I still have it. I know you don't even have it anymore, but I log on once every month, maybe. And uh, Instagram is the same kind of deal. Like I just check my notifications. I don't really use uh, either of those. I use WhatsApp here and there, but, um, you know, for the Facebook ecosystem, that's kind of my. I- that's the extent of it. Um, whereas Twitter I use all the time, but yeah, it's Twitter as a business just hasn't figured it out. Well, I think that's, that's, that's an important thing to be able to do mentally to really love a product, but realize it's not a great investment or conversely (laughs) to hate a product and realize it's an incredible investment, right? Like if I could invest in Oatly, I totally would. Because yeah, because you know I human think, nature a little bit. Yeah, right? I know <laughs> people are stupid and they're going to drink it and yep. <laughs> it's going to do really well over the next five years, no matter how much I like yell about it on Twitter. I have, so. a, I have a friend of a friend. I, all, I almost sent this to you. Uh, I have a friend of a friend um, who I guess has like got some pretty high up job at Oatly yeah. uh, recently. So I saw my friend commented on this person's LinkedIn post about it. And so I saw that and I was like, I forget what it was. It was something around like content or something. Like, yeah, like head of content or something. I don't know. I don't know this person who got the job, but I just saw the, my friend comment on it. And I was like, I wonder if she's seen Nat's post. <laughs> they definitely have because Oatly has responded to the post in like in some Twitter threads and some LinkedIn threads, but they haven't sent anything to me. So, okay. Oh, so like, they've like publicly posted about it. Like I guess other people have commented like, yeah I, them and stuff or well yeah i think Oatly hasn't officially said anything but like Oatly pr people who i see for their okay. like twitter accounts and stuff have said some stuff but it's like it's all kind of like lazy boilerplate language their response to jeff knobs was actually quite good i thought that was well thought out like they they said things that i disagree with and made what i think would be like errors or kind of like untrue health claims in their response but it was clearly like a company message and very well articulated. So I haven't gotten anything like that, but, um, what's they the, might've... um, I guess maybe we should set the context because there's probably people who are listening who haven't, uh, seen oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote a post called, uh, Oatly, the new Coke, which, um, is part of a, uh, newsletter called, um, whoa, ah, there we go called the everything bundle and uh it's sort of like a a paid newsletter that um 
talks about a lot of like business strategy and other things. Um, so I, I'm, I'm launching a newsletter in there as part of their like paid newsletter collection, um, uh, specifically related to like just the same kind of stuff I normally talk about, right? Like health, money, business, whatnot. Uh, <laughs> and so this was the like, bundle. That's basically yeah, basically. Bundle. <laughs> and this was like my test article with them. And I was, you know, I was pretty harsh on Oatly and their issues. Um, and it kind of like went crazy. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think it, you like, expected that though. I bet you expected that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because you, you know, if you write online for a long time, you start to get a sense of like, oh, this article is going to do really well or, you know, oh, this will be a small audience and you'll, you'll start to get better than chance. And so I figured it was going to do pretty well, but it like got front page hacker news and did over a hundred thousand views in the first four or five days. And just like all of these crazy numbers. And that, you know, obviously create a lot of controversy and criticism and like some of it, good criticism and like just little things that I didn't get quite right. And then other things just like people being mean. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of like, that's what you expect when you write health stuff on the internet. When you, honestly, um, when you do anything on the internet, you just have to be ready for that. Yeah. Ju- Justin Mayers had a really funny tweet about this the other day where he was like, uh, if you build a big enough Twitter following, eventually you'll win the prize of, st- of like random people being mean to you on the internet. It, it was something like that. Right. Where it's like so the, the consolation prize for building like a Twitter influence is that people just more people are mean to you. It, it, yeah. it doesn't always <laughs> translate into like, you know, you're never like walking down the street and people are like, Oh, like I love you on Twitter. Can you, you know, yeah. my boobs like it hasn't <laughs> happened yet strangely <laughs> i feel like right now too well not just right now maybe this has always been true at least this is my observation is that uh kind of like we were talking about threading the needle there's like a threading the needle on being like popularity too right oh, i yeah. feel like you know i feel like yeah justin is still probably not past that that stage where it's like because i've seen some people who have you know 100k plus follow even like dave you know dave perel um yeah. Or even some people who have like more than him, more followers than him. Like if you look at the replies, just some of them are just nonsense. I'm sure like they get you know they get DMs or stupid emails and stuff like that are just not worth it. Probably hacking attempts, like all this sort of stuff um, that is just probably super annoying to deal with. And like obviously, there's a big prize to having a lot of followers like that too. It's very it's very yeah. valuable. It's it's very useful. Uh, but there's a lot that like negative that comes along with it. And yeah, I, maybe like where David is right now is like the ideal, you know, a hundred K not a million. <laughs> Cause yeah. having a million, I feel like will be just, I mean, you just probably get all kinds of riffraff and anything you say will get taken out of context. And uh, I mean, that happens to people anyway, right? Like they'll say yeah. stuff, you look in the comments and I remember he tweeted and, and I, uh, sent it to him. Luckily he, you know, he, he didn't, kind of publicly bash this person but somebody publicly posted like they took a screenshot of one of his tweets and just to talk shit about him uh but they didn't tag him and i fo- i used to follow this person so i saw it and i was like i like sent that guy a message be like why didn't you just like quote tweet this so he could actually respond to you yeah <laughs> like you know it's just like why like why are you just sniping at this person for no reason dude uh, it's like yeah i don't know i noticed this in myself in the last few months where I, like so because of the Rome stuff, I started getting a lot more Twitter followers and just like generally having more Twitter activity. And I I hit some point where I just started getting a little bit more of that like negative inbound and a little mm. bit more of the like critical stuff. And uh I noticed it was like 
putting me into more of this like fight or flight mental space a lot of the time. Mm. And it was getting kind of unhealthy and depressive and very reactionary. And I noticed like meaning, spilling. Like meaning anytime you tweeted something, you'd get some people pushing back. No, on it no. Meaning I was seeing fights where there weren't any. Or oh, I, I was I was starting fights where there didn't need to be, or I was taking things out of context and just assuming somebody was being snarky or mean when they weren't, or I was picking fights with other people for no reason. And it's something I've had to actively think about and work on because I've just felt like Twitter was messing with my head and making me into a more negative person. And that's what, that's honestly the hard thing with some of these articles too, like the Oli article, right? It's kind of an inherently negative and in some ways mean, at least to Oatly article. And I'm fine being mean to Oatly because I think they're a bad company. But when you put out some of that negative energy, you're going to get some of it back. And if you're not really careful with how you take care of your mind in response to it, it it can give you like a really bad internet experience pretty quickly. And so, I mean, just this past weekend, I basically had to install a blocker on my phone and block myself from Twitter all weekend because that's actually a good idea. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was on great. Yeah, I, like I enjoyed my weekend a lot more. Yep. <laughs> but and I did it because on Friday night, I I like seen this random tweet from someone, and I thought he was being a dick, but he wasn't. But then I like yelled at him, and then I started this whole thing, and then it was. And after I saw that, I just had to say, okay, this is clearly not good for me. I need to take a step back from this and figure out how to create a more positive experience on Twitter. So it's tough, and I've only got you know I've got sixth of as many followers as David and, you know, hundredth of as many as other people. I just, the, the downsides of having that many people being able to just kind of like ping you with their, their random thoughts about your work is not <laughs> healthy. I mean, yeah. This is why I don't have comments on my blog, right? Yep. Yep. Because smart, smart. I think that it, it's ridiculous. I don't know why anybody has comments on their blog. Cause it's ridiculous that you I disabled spend- mine. I disabled mine recently. Cause even, yeah. even I don't even ha- get, probably at 1.1% of the traffic you get. And even then I'll still get comments that are, I'm just like, I don't want to respond with like a whole new essay to this. Right. Person. <laughs> it's like, I spent but you feel two weeks. It's, yeah. I spent two weeks writing weird. this essay, but then you get to append your like stupid thought you had while you were shitting and reading this article to my <laughs> piece. Like it's so ridiculous. And there are a lot there of people was, who do really thoughtful some, comments, but there was some article I had posted where I mentioned something about Steve Jobs's uh, uh, death. And I mentioned pancreatic cancer. And this person like called me out on, on one of my comments being like, well, Steve Jobs didn't actually die of pancreatic cancer. He had this thing that was like, like it was this whole thing, like critiquing him. Like that wasn't the point of the article. Like yeah. I didn't write like a medical article. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was like about something totally different. And he found this, like, two, and I have such little traffic compared to people, you know, like you or some other people. And I'm just like, why did you comment on this tiny ass blog on the internet? With this, that drives you know, me crazy when people post like, this like gotcha about yeah. some non-important part of the article as if that <laughs> discredits everything else in it. But then you feel like you have to respond to it because yeah. other people might see it and be like, oh yeah, like this guy showed Neil, right? But there is, I think to your point about like uh, seeing fights where there aren't any, I, I felt that as well. Like there was... um. There was, and, and I think part of it also ties to like people sometimes say things provocatively, whether yeah. in a comment or in a post, right? Just because, just for attention, because that's what works on Twitter. Yep. Uh, so there's some of that going on too. Like there was this one, I forget who shared it, but it was uh, a thread about Spotify. And one of the, the, 
the parts that I thought was really interesting and, and relevant to the part to some of the stuff that I talk about was how they got their deals with the record labels originally uh, and how they got really good deals in terms of like what they pay per stream uh, mm. to the record labels. And so the record labels have equity in, in Spotify and that was like part of it. So they gave equity and then they, they, um, they don't have to pay much in cash as, as you probably know, like the artists don't get a ton of money off, off Spotify. Right. Uh, so that's like part, that's kind of what led to that. Right. So like, any like the record label is negotiated on behalf of the artists and that's how they do it. Uh, and so those deals are still in place. Like there, there was no like time expiration uh, to that. So it was, it was interesting because it's like Spotify used uh, the relative weakness of the record labels at that point in time. This was like 2009, 2010, they were getting clobbered uh, to basically hustle them into, into making these deals that were really good for Spotify uh, so I, I basically shared that. And this guy doesn't even follow me or the other guy whose article I shared. So I don't know how he came across it. He had a really snarky reply about how like, you know, he's like, well, they're basically stealing from the artists. Is this the lesson that startups should be taking from uh, Spotify? And like, but he said it in like a meaner way. I almost responded in a, in a mean way back, but I kind of took a step back. It's like, this guy's probably just doing this for attention. It's like one of those like 10 follower accounts. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 And so, so I, but I did respond. I was first thinking of not responding. I basically responded with like, uh, oh, he was saying how um, Spotify's CEO had previously worked at uTorrent. So he's like, mm -hmm. oh, he basically invented the torrenting industry. Uh, and, and I like looked it up. He did, he did work at uTorrent as the CEO for about six months, I think. Hmm. Uh, but not for, cool. so it was, yeah, it was like well after you, like torrents were mainstream. Uh, and it looks like he left and he's, he joined because I think one of his friends with like the guy who started it or something. But he... Huh. Yeah, like basically, so he's talked about this because um, I saw it in an interview. He like, he said he looked at how uh, torrenting and, and piracy was basically destroying the music industry. So his idea was to make something that was better than torrenting, but legal, right? Like, right. And that's kind of what Spotify is. Like, there's no need to torrent music yeah. anymore. No, I, I used to torrent music all the time and then yeah. Spotify came out and now there was no need to. Same thing with Netflix, right? Yep. Yep. Why torrent when you just have tons of movies available all the time? Exactly. Like, why do you need to? Like, it's not worth even the time to go figure that out. And you know, yeah, it just it's so much easier to just pay, pay the small subscription and you get it all legally and for you know, and, and it's all there for you. Yeah. Uh, and it always works. You don't have to worry about viruses. <laughs> like, there's all the <laughs> you know, there's all like it's so much easier. So anyway, that's like how he. So I, I did. I responded in a in a not angry way, but just like. uh clear way that like this is and i i put a link in there and actually the guy was not like we had actually a pretty good conversation after that we, we went nice. on for a few more tweets yeah he wasn't like trying to be mean about it i think he was just like trying to make the point that like the artists don't get paid you know very much from spotify and like he's right about that uh but that wasn't like the lesson i was pointing out there i was pointing out that you know spotify as a very very tiny company in 2009 was able to uh negotiate some very favorable deals with basically the largest companies in their industry. So yeah. yeah, we were kind of like talking past each other in the initial exchange, but then uh turned out I think he was just wording something that way to get attention, basically. Uh yeah. it wasn't it wasn't meant to be like mean to me, right? Uh and I think that maybe a lot of times that's that's how these uh these respond like whoever's writing the response is trying to do it that way. And it's hard to not take it personally sometimes though. Yeah. Well I find too that a lot of times people are being mean but then they don't realize there's somebody on the other end of it yeah that's true too yep and sometimes if you just respond and are like hey is everything okay or say <laughs> something like that it kind of like 
resets them a little bit. Yeah. Just like, hey, is anything going on? Like, are you all right? You seem really upset about this or anything to that effect. I find tends to diffuse it really quickly, but... Because you're also really, treating them as a person too then, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, I know you're not actually this upset about this thing that I wrote. There's something else going on that is making you upset and you're like taking it out on this random tweet for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. Like, I mean, Twitter in a, in a lot of ways, Twitter is real life, but in, in a lot of other <laughs> ways, it's also not at all real life. Like, um, I mean, like, I know, I, I think your idea of not, not using Twitter or at least like skipping it for two days or one day is a, is a really smart one. Uh, Cause I mean, even like the riot videos and stuff, right? Yeah. Like if you start looking at those uh, too much, it just messes with your head. Like it feels like America is a complete war zone, which like maybe there are parts of the country, which, you know, have, ha- have violence going on in the streets for sure. Um, but it's not the whole country. Right. But if you look at certain threads on Twitter, it's just like, that's all that's happening. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, yeah. crazy how much that's distorting people's sense of what's actually going on. Yeah. Right. Like we, you know, I, I really started appreciating this with all of the COVID stuff going on the last few months because I live in Texas, right? I live in Austin. And there was a period where like all of the news was about how COVID is so bad in Texas and yeah, like <laughs> Texas is that. burning down, everyone's dying. And we're all here in Austin looking around, everyone's walking around outside, like there's, you know, no hospital overruns. There's like nothing wrong really. But the, you know, the, the reported case rate was going up really quickly and it was a lot higher than other places in the country. And it's like, okay, yes, but we were also the slowest state to start testing people. And right. So like, it may not be because like it wasn't there before. It just now is showing up as data. Yeah. Well, and everyone was looking for the next New York, right? Like New York was legitimately a fucking awful situation. Yep. But then these, you started hearing about these numbers in other States and everyone just assumed it was going to be New York part two. And it's like, no, (laughs) New York is also just such a unique geography too. Yeah. Right. It's like, I mean, it's hard to compare New York. Yeah. I mean, we both live there. Like it's hard to, to compare New York to Austin in like, you know, they're not, they're not, they're basically not the same. Like you can't compare them at all. Yeah. Uh, you're not taking there's no subway right there's no uh, yeah it's just it's not the same thing uh yeah so a temperature the climate is there's so many differences but you're right the media was looking for for the next new york basically and yeah remember they were basically like it almost seemed like they were hunting for like the next ground Uh, i mean we could probably do a whole whole, uh, episode on when hopefully this is behind the world uh at some point uh there'll be a really nice like post-mortem episode basically dude i like i wish we'd been doing the podcast through all the covid stuff yeah because it was just a wild experience where uh and i don't know if you had this experience too but like me and a lot of my other friends who were like techie and interested in i don't know what the other common overlap is here but like the entrepreneurial financey type friends yeah i think like taleb fans <laughs> we're all like oh this is a big fucking deal like everybody needs to get ready and i was like trying to tell like you know, i was trying people. to yeah i was trying yep. to tell other people like hey maybe you should like go buy some food Stock and stuff like, just in case and, yep, right yep. like get some medicine because like you might not be able to in a few weeks and there was so much of this you know oh it's you know it's just like swine flu or you know people thought ebola was going to be a big deal and that all blew over uh and like you know a lot of listening to the media saying that it's not a big deal right and then 
course that was wrong and it, it did turn into a huge fucking deal but then then it went like too far and then a lot of those same people were like oh no i can't leave the house until there's a vaccine <laughs> or yeah, yeah. like you know the you just like can't go back to life like it's so awful you can't like touch any surfaces or anything and then i felt like it was sort of like now i'm tr- now i'm once again the, the crazy person yep. right <laughs> where it's like in, in austin i mean we're, we're hanging out and we're like going to dinner at people's houses and living life normally and everyone's doing contact tracing but we're you know we're back to our normal life the only thing we don't do anymore is we don't go to bars like yep. that makes sense because bars were clearly a massive transmission vector right like the, the graph of austin in particular is hilarious if you look at cases when they opened bars and then when they closed them again oh it just spiked up when they did oh that. my god yeah there's this huge hump two weeks after they opened bars and then they shut them and it immediately drops off and goes back to like a very manageable rate. And so yeah, <laughs> you look so at that and you clear. go, okay, <laughs> we shouldn't be drinking alcohol in close proximity to each other. That makes sense. But yep. we can go to a restaurant and sit outside. Like it's not gonna be the end of the world. Um, I just like, it's been such an interesting case study in how like the amount of time you, or the amount of information you get from like the news quote unquote, is so unhealthy for having an accurate, accurate picture of what's going on. It's so where, unhealthy. And so, and so, uh, I don't know, like you're one thing you just said, which was like, I'm once again, the crazy person that like describes my life. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you felt, you probably felt that way too. Like it, you're probably at some point, you're just like at w- some time, I just want to be like, not the crazy person. <laughs> I, I just like, don't even talk about it anymore because, yep. or, you know, I, I, I just hold my tongue on so many things because (laughs) there's all this stuff that's just outside the Overton window now that really shouldn't be, but is. Well, it's like discussions you can't have. I mean, we, 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 we we can, we don't want to prematurely cancel ourselves, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, let's wait till we're a little more popular before we get canceled, you know? Uh, But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, you're right. There's like, well, I feel like there's such a dis. Okay. Let me take a step back. I feel, okay. When you and I have a discussion or, or when, uh, a hand, a bunch of other people that we can probably are, you know, mutual friends of ours that we can talk about. Like, I feel like we would all, when we're having a discussion, look for the truth, right? Like, Oh, this person doesn't know this thing. I know this thing. Well, let me share that. Or they know something that I don't know. I'd want to hear about that. And like, we're not out to like do like gotcha type of things, but like, it just seems like there's a lot of, not even a lot. Most people, I feel like have no interest in that. Like, it's like, no, I, I already believe this. And I'm just looking for evidence that confirms it. And if you say something that's outside of that, I uh, have no interest in it. And I'm going to be mean to you in response. Yeah. I mean, I think we all do this. We right? all do and it for sure. But I, yeah, but there's like definitely. I don't want to pretend like I don't have massive confirmation bias. Everybody does. Everybody does. But I do. I do think there are like some like, and we all, all have our own biases for sure. Uh, yeah. like you may present some evidence and you may be like, well, no, I don't agree with that because of this. And like, even though we're both presenting articles and sources, they might be in conflict with each other. Right. Like some things it's very hard to figure out what's actually true. Yeah. Um, but, but you know where I'm going with this. There's basically, there's like, at least we can have the discussion, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like I will, like, if you say something that's outside of my worldview, I'm not going to just like, be like that's racist, that's sexist. Right. Like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, just because we disagree. Uh, if you say something that is actually that, maybe I'll, I can tell you, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't like label you. Let's put it that way, right? Yeah, uh, I think that's yeah, actually it, a really good point. It's like taking one idea and then labeling it as part of a broader idea set that yes. it is that it would be contained within, but is not sufficient to 
assume the rest of the ideas, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like you might have one, you might say one thing that, yes, that is part of that, but it doesn't mean you agree with all of the other things that yeah. are part of it. It's uh, like, yeah. I, I, I feel like I have a lot of these examples living in Austin now and just with my friend group, right? It's like all of us own guns, but we all vote liberal, right? And that confuses people. Yeah, a lot right? of people probably will not understand that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, a if fun thing listened to... to uh, what was that episode? It was Sam Harris. Uh, oh, The Riddle of the Gun? Yeah, go listen yeah. to that episode if you're confused about what Nat just said. No, it's a, it's a great <laughs> episode. And like we all... You know, we're all like very responsible gun owners and, you know, we enjoy going to the range and, you know, a lot of us are into hunting and stuff. And that's, you know, there's no reason that that's incompatible with believing in like universal basic income and, you know, feminism, right? Like you can have yeah. all of those ideas at the same time. But I think that it's, I mean, it, we've, we, I know we've talked about this in some episode, but like stereotyping, Oh, it was the tower episode, right? Like stereotypes are useful as a way to interpret the world, but you need to get a lot of stereotypes to have like the most accurate view of the world. And what I mean by that is the example he uses in the article, which I really like is uh, if you're only if your only impression of a Japanese person is like watching samurai movies, you're just going to assume that all Japanese men are into samurai <laughs> stuff, right? So you need true. to like, you need to yeah. meet a lot more Japanese people to have like an accurate picture of, you know, what you can actually put in the Japanese bucket. And yeah. what I think the, a lot of media presentation does, especially polarized media is presents certain ideas as being like contained in an idea set that is like, I, I would not like totalitarian is the wrong word, but is always complete and always organized together. Right. Mm. In the sense that if somebody thinks that you shouldn't wear or that you don't need to wear a mask outside, that means they believe the virus is a hoax. Right. And it's like, no, those can be separate. Or, you know, if somebody owns guns, that means they think that like Trump is a great president or like yeah. <laughs> these ridiculous combinations of ideas, but that are presented as common stereotypes and archetypes in the kind of like very, very polarized, combative media that I think most of us are exposed to most of the time. And yeah. the challenge, the, the thing that I try to do, but it's really hard, is to uh, assume that like every idea can be like independent of the other ideas it's usually found associated with, if that makes sense. Right? Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, the one that we see a lot these days is with COVID, the uh, the reopen the economy one. Yeah. It's like for reopening the economy, right? Yeah. It's like, you must believe it's also a hoax, right? Or you must believe it's, it's not real or, you know, like there's, it's a very weird, uh, well, not weird, actually, it's probably expected, but like the overlap that is assumed when you say, uh, anything about reopening. Yeah. Well, it's just like assumed you deny that the virus exists or right. Right. (laughs) Or, or that was such a crazy thing because, and I, the point I made on Twitter a few weeks ago about this too was like, there's this new whole term now, like anti-maskers, mm, right? Yeah. Which is really clever because it sounds a lot like anti-vaxxers. Right. And so yep. you kind of like lump those together in your head, but it's a very unclear term because it doesn't, you know, it's not clear what anti-mask means. And, you know, for me, if I go into a building, I'm always going to be wearing a mask right now. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or if I'm in a crowded place outdoors, I'm always going to be wearing a mask. But if I'm out walking around in a park with my wife and dog, I don't need to be wearing a mask. Or if right? you're like, it's out silly. for a run or something. Yeah, like, out for a run. Yeah. And then I, 
you'll get dirty looks sometimes. Or I was in Nantucket with my family last weekend and they have like a an island-wide law right now that you have to wear it whenever you're outside your house. And I'm just like, this is so stupid. We're on like an unbusy street. There's nobody around. There's no way I would cough on someone. Yeah. Like, this is taking it way beyond, you know, reason and is more about <laughs> like, it's almost more about signaling at that point, right? Or when oh, I see somebody, sure. I see somebody running and wearing a mask, that feels more of a signaling, like uh, showing that you're part of a certain group than it is about actual, like, logical harm reduction if that makes sense yes. right it's oh 100 I mean, there's, there's no way the, that wearing it would be a bad thing right uh, but it's not really a necessary intervention exactly i mean that's my that's my uh pushback on the anti-maskers that's a cool i like that term actually the more i say it out loud like it's um it, it, it doesn't cause any harm like you know if you're in a public place or you're in a store or something like yeah just just wear a mask like it's not yeah. not that big of a deal um, if you but, go inside a building, you should be wearing one. Like there's yeah. not really much debate about that right now. But on the other hand, like I saw, uh, I forget which department it was. We can look it up. Um, I can actually look it up right now. But the there was a department uh, of the state of Wisconsin's government. Uh, did you see this? No, I don't think so. They mandated masks on Zoom calls. <laughs> not No joke. I'm not joking. Uh, and it was... For signaling purposes. they're up. like well we want to set a good example uh for other people oh uh, my gosh yep hold on wisconsin up. dnr employees must wear masks even for stay-at-home view zoom calls yeah right <laughs> this isn't the onion right this is like a real post <laughs> oh my god this is hilarious it's like the definition of of signaling so yeah <laughs> there you go that's so I'm so glad that was real because at first when I, when you hadn't heard of it, I was like, oh crap, did I read like an <laughs> article that like I'm now passing Dude, on? Dude, it's hard thing. to know sometimes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, do you, uh, are you much of a Redditor? I don't remember. No, not really. Like here and there. Yeah. But not yeah. I'm like, you know, occasionally, but not, I'm not on there often. No, there's only handle so, so much crazy in Twitter. <laughs> I get my craziness. There's a great, subreddit called not the onion which is news articles that look like they should be onion <laughs> yeah. headlines but that are real that's great and you can also do something called a uh, multi-reddit where you combine multiple subreddits into one feed and so you can do like a multi-reddit of the onion and not the onion and then it's it's sort of like a game of can you tell if this one's real or fake and it's basically impossible at this point mm, yeah it's <laughs> like, yeah, just so it. much and then not specifically covid related just like in general there's so much crazy shit going on now and so much stuff that will get published you know regardless of how factually accurate it is that is just like really hard to tell and i i feel like the covid stuff really exposed that a lot for me where i realized that i was getting better information from random venture capitalists in Silicon Valley than I was from the CDC. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which sounds well, the institutions are broken, right? Like for sure. Yeah. It sounds uh, so insane to say it out but loud. Here's the, but, but here's the true. sad thing. Here's the sad thing. I feel like if we were looking at it logically, we should have expected that. Like, you know, yeah. we, I know you and I have talked a lot about education and like, we were not thinking like the department of education is like the gold standard when no. it comes to, to education, right? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, I think we had a public school versus uh, homeschool versus private school conversation on one of the episodes too. Uh, and like, yeah, it's just not, we just wouldn't have thought of the Department of Education as being the gold standard. So it's like, in hindsight, it's like, well, maybe we shouldn't have expected the CDC to be the gold standard either. Uh, 
even though we'd hope, right? I mean, that's the whole point of having them. I mean, it's the same thing with the WHO. It's like that's part of like they should have been way ahead of the curve on this. Uh, the, the idea that there but, was a whole yeah. period where both of those organizations were saying like, don't wear masks, they don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> is still just so mind blowing to me. And then it's for, bad either way. It's bad if yeah. they were lying, like they knowingly were saying that to reserve supply. And that's bad because then it's like, well, should we trust anything that they say? And it's bad the other way too, right? If they just didn't know, then it's like, well, what were we paying you for? <laughs> right. And that's why I felt so, I, I don't even know what the right term is, but like conflicted or frustrated where, you know, one, you've got all these people who are making fun of people who question certain amounts of mask usage, right? The whole like, then again, Wearing masks, you know, inside and in dense settings is very important. You don't have to wear them all the time, right? But you've got a, a relatively large number of people, it seems, who do think that everyone should have to wear them all the time outside. But it's like, you're the same people who thought that this was going to be like H1N1 three months ago, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, thought that masks didn't work. And that's not, I'm not saying that those people are stupid necessarily. It's the self-righteousness and the like oh like you're an idiot because you disagree with the wearing masks all the time ideas and it's like i feel like we all need to have way more humility about how little we know and how quickly we have to adapt (laughs) to new information because it's it's it really is to your point like what institutions can we trust because it's definitely not the cdc anymore right it's definitely yeah. not like world health organization and so then you know okay like who do we trust <laughs> right it's not really clear what the way forward is here i mean maybe it's just that we trust like japan or some some other country that seems to have it together way better than we do uh even though that is like another situation where it's like i would uh what's that a thing i think taleb talked about it but i don't think he came up with it where it's like if you read a news article that's like about your industry oh yeah 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 uh yeah you basically you realize that they have no idea what they're talking about it's like the exact opposite of what they're saying i feel like it's like that with other countries too like when we read news about japan or like you know whatever other country it sounds like they have it more together than than they actually do. I, I don't know that to be true. I'm just saying Possibly, I, would, yeah. I would I would not be surprised, right? If like in, institutions as a whole are uh, just generally uh, kind of breaking down. The other the other episode that we did that's su- well, there's a few we can talk about all of them, but um, one episode <laughs> that's super relevant. Uh, that I've been seeing a lot lately is the how to lie with statistics. Oh yeah. I was thinking about that too. I feel like I quote that book in the medley every three or four weeks at this point. It's It's so crazy. It's so crazy. And there's like people play games with like the, uh, the, the labels on the axes, like the uh, you know, where they start the, uh, the Y axis, right. It won't start at zero, like just to make it look more dramatic. Yes. There's so many games that have been played. And uh, going back to something you said, like, it's not like, these people are dumb or anybody is dumb who's kind of like, you know, maybe being self-righteous about it. The self-righteousness part is, is the annoying part that having the wrong information part is like largely not people's fault. And I don't want to excuse them from doing their own, you know, research and, and stuff. Like everybody should try to figure stuff out, but it just is so hard to get real information, right? Like, yeah. and to have a coherent worldview, that's the other thing, right? Cause it's very scary to have like, to kind of be floating, be like, oh, I have no idea what's going on. So people look for anchors of like, well, it was on CNN or it was on Fox or it was on, you know, it was in the Wall Street Journal that they said this or Trump said this or Pelosi said that. And um, 
you know, people look for like somebody or something that they can be like, well, that said it. So I believe that, right. Yep. Uh, that certainty. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's hard because like all of those people have been wrong. <laughs> Everything that every group that I just mentioned, which is in a position of authority or like either a leading media company or a, uh, leading politician, like none of them have been right in this, uh, at, at various points. Um, well, and it's, it's becoming yeah. an issue for like everything. And I've noticed yeah. that this is kind of a big personal difference between certain people where, you know, s- some people will say like, oh, well, the CDC says, or, oh, well, you know, the FDA says, and to them, that is like a sign of truth. And to me, it isn't because I like distrust pretty much all of those organizations at this point. And I, yeah. I know that I take it like too far sometimes where I'll just sort of like, blanket discard anything that they say as like probably not the whole truth which yep. is probably not always right right so it's like that's your bias that other that's way, my right? bias like, right yeah. is that you you give basically zero truth weight to anything that a government organization says about like almost anything like you have to go verify it yourself you can't just take it at face value um but it's so hard to find accurate info for anything because like everybody is misinterpreting it in some way to support their own biases, like including us, obviously. And I, I even had this experience last week where, you know, I was reading this book for the article I just published today about, you know, eating meat while caring about the environment. And in the book, they had this stat where they said, you know, a a pound of beef takes like 280 gallons of water uh, of blue water. Right. Or, you know, as low as 50 to 100 gallons of blue water for grass-fed beef, but a pound of rice takes 410 pounds of water or 410 gallons of water. And I put it in the article and then I kept going and then I was reviewing the article again and I was like, you know what, that number just doesn't sound quite right. And so I had to like, I opened the book, I went to where that section was in the book, I found their citation, I had to plug in their citation online, their citation was like a uh, water, like a study on the amount of water it takes to grow things. And it was like this big chart of all these different foodstuffs that you can grow and how much water they take. But the chart as so, but the chart wasn't in like gallons of water per pound of food. It was like cubic meters of water per ton. So it was like this completely ridiculous measurement. So then you had to like reconvert it into gallons per pound. It, it took me at least 20 minutes to like do this research and to like compare all the metrics. And the number I got was like 66 pounds of blue hmm. or 66 gallons of blue water per rice, right? Which is like radically but, different than what yeah. they said, but their number sounds way better if you're writing a book about how eating meat is great, right? right. Yep. And the only way I could get their number is if I compared the blue water usage of meat with the total water usage of rice mm, and so comparing like apples and oranges. Yeah. Doing yeah. the exact comparison that they were criticizing the plant-based industry of using to make meat look bad. And it was like, guys, you're like supposed to be the people who are, you know, providing a more accurate representation here, but like, I can't verify this information as you've cited it. And now I'm like skeptical about everything else in the book. Right. Yeah. And, that's, I mean, and that's, that's tough. That's yeah. That's like exactly the, the problem the other side in their in their case was was doing exactly the same thing and now they're doing it too so but you just there's no way you can and it took you a lot of time. time it took me a lot of time yeah. yeah like i would love it if i could just trust citations in books and articles but you can't right i mean even like research papers are you know they get fudged they can get sponsored by you know certain industries that want a certain result right yep. like 
the the oh, is there canola. was one i gotta send it to you i gotta send it yeah. to you i i saved it it was uh something around beyond meat uh maybe you already saw it it was i think a couple of days ago being shared uh around like how it it's reduces uh i think it's cardiovascular damage compared to um compared to regular beef burgers right it was like beyond meat burgers versus regular beef burgers and i, I just saw like the sample size i have to i have to look at it and send it to you without without giving like the wrong information but it was like a single digit different like it was like two people different uh yeah got different results it was like so small it was like how do you and also the other thing with uh well i, I don't want to talk about nutrition studies because i i don't know anything about how they do it but uh in cosmetics like i'll tell like i worked in the industry so i can tell you exactly what, what i saw uh maybe I, if i've told the story of the podcast before i guess you just have to sit through it again or fast okay. forward it's been a year and a half. We get to retell uh, yeah. all our old stories. Exactly. Exactly. So um, Estee Lauder, who I used to work with, uh, they do all their testing in in Long Island for every product. And uh, it's usually like an eight-week test. So let's say they're testing like a face cream. So you come in if you're part of the study, uh, which I believe on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. is typically when people would come in. So they come in. Uh, they do like a bunch of baseline, you know, readings of your skin, like moisture and, and they have, they have different cameras. They can like take pictures and stuff. What's uh, like infrared cameras, like underneath your skin and what it looks like. Um, and then there's some quantitative measures as well, uh, like elasticity and moisture. And there's a few others that I don't even remember. Um, but they do this one, you know, once a week for eight weeks, typically. And some, some studies are 12 weeks, but eight weeks, typically, uh, so there's a bunch of biases, right? So this is the data that they use for the whole world. Well, it's Long Island is, you know, the first of all, that's the only place they're testing. Mm-hmm. It's people who are available at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. So people stay at home, you know, moms typically or uh, housewives and stuff, right? And, and so there's your, you know, bias right there. It's like 95% white, uh, <laughs> you know, so because it's just like by demographics. It's just like what that place is and what the time is yeah. and, what's the availability. So, um, it's that, and then that doesn't even count like all the biases in the actual product application. So what they'll do is they'll give you the, the product. So at the end of the, the first week, they give you the product, you, you know, you're supposed to apply it, whether it's every day or twice a day or whatever the instructions are, and then come back the next week and they'll just do those same measurements again. And there's no standardization of, okay, did you actually apply it right or wrong? Did you even apply it? You know, you don't have to even use the product if you, you know, there's no way to, there's no way to, to check. Uh, it's not science, right? Like this is not science. It, at the end of the, the trial, if they don't get the results they want, but they still think that they, uh, it has potential, they just redo it. There's yep. no like, you know, there's no like, uh, there's no, there's no like body they have to go report to like, oh, we did this trial and it failed. We, you know, we're going to do it again and see how it, no, there's, the world will never hear about that first trial uh, if the results didn't go how they uh, how they wanted. Then they just do it until they get the results they want, and then that's what goes on the you know on the package. Like, oh, reduces the appearance of, and they always word it very smartly. They'll say like may reduce the appearance of wrinkles by fifteen percent right. or whatever, uh, so they they don't get in trouble for it. But yeah, there's that's not science, right? Like if you look at that, <laughs> that's just that that's just like I don't know what what do you even call that? Like, uh, <laughs> have you read that? Have you heard that Feynman speech, Cargo Cult Science? Uh, no, I haven't. That actually sounds oh, really interesting. That, that's a must read. It could even be a good episode someday, or at least just something we talk about. But it was a speech he gave as like a graduation ceremony. For I don't remember for where. But the gist of the article is that during... Uh, hmm, I can't remember. There, there was some period of time where like 
a bunch of like aid people were flying in resources to this area of, I want to say Africa. And so they would like land the plane in the field and then bring in um, like resources, like, you know, food and, you know, stuff for shelter and whatnot. And they were doing this for a period. And like the locals, it was sort of like tribes people, I think they, you know, started to kind of expect this and then it stopped. And, but they kept doing all of the things that would need to be done before a shipment would come in. So kind of like doing a rain dance basically, right? Like they mm, kept yeah. the runway clear and they were like setting out and they would go and like wait for the planes every you know week or two. And they were doing like the scientific method in a certain sense, right? Where it was like, Oh, we've, you know, observed this result. And if we just like, you know, if we do this thing, then we're um, like going to bring about that result, but they didn't really understand what was going on. And even though they were doing, you know, all the behavior of like bringing about the end result, they didn't understand like the underlying process of how they were getting those supplies. They thought it was them, you know, going to the runway and waiting and stuff, but it never like showed up because they didn't actually understand the underlying mechanics. There's a lot of like, we all do that. That's like, Oh yeah, we do it all the time. Right. It's like, well, this morning routine really works for me. You're like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, here, here. I I found, I brought it I brought it up, so I'll read this passage from it because it's really good. Um, Okay. In the South Seas, there is a cargo cult of people. During the war, they saw airplanes land with lots of good materials, and they want the same thing to happen now. So they've arranged to make things like runways, to put fires along the sides of the runways, to make wooden hut for man to sit in with two wooden pieces on his head like headphones and bars of bamboo sticking out like antennas. He's the (laughs) controller, and they wait for the airplanes to land. They're doing everything right. The form is perfect. It looks exactly the way it did before, but it doesn't work. No airplanes land. So I call these things cargo cult science because they follow all the apparent precepts and forms of scientific investigation, but they're missing something essential because the planes don't land, right? I feel like that's that's exactly what you're talking about where, yeah, they're they're doing a research study, but... They're they're just like pretending to do a research study, right? Like they're wearing the wooden headphones. <laughs> they're not actually doing yeah. science. It just looks like it. Yeah, and I think well, and in this case, it's one step further. I love I I, I love that story by that passage. By the way, uh, I gotta read that whole thing. It's really good. Uh, I feel like we all do that, right? For certain things. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's, uh, what, what's that uh, famous phrase about advertising? It's like fifty percent of ads work. I just don't know which half or something, right? Or something. Yeah, something, yeah. Phrase like that. Uh, that's true for a lot of things. Like, you know, we might have a morning routine, night routine, like my workspace has to be exactly like this. I prefer, you know, this video chat app versus that one. Like some of it matters and a lot of it probably doesn't. And we just don't know which, you know, which part matters and which part doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I say that about SEO a lot. It's like, there's a lot of stuff that we do for SEO, but nobody's a hundred percent sure which parts of it actually matter and which parts don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the, uh, for the, uh, Estee Lauder example, I, I actually would take that even one step further. Like, it's not that they don't know. It's like, there are actual scientists who work at Estee Lauder and do real science, yeah. but for the metrics that they're going for, that's just marketing. Like, that's just like, they're looking for marketing numbers that they can use. Right. It's like not, right. it's not really being used for scientific purposes. Like there are different parts of the company that they're actually doing science and, uh, again, like, I don't know how much of that actually ends up in the product that, you know, by the end, but there are departments where they're actual scientists, but then this part, it's not even like they think they're doing science. It's like, I mean, and, and I've heard nutrition studies are similar to this, like depending on who's funding it. And 
uh, and that kind of thing. But, um, and I think we had maybe covered this, like there's tobacco studies. That oh yeah. And uh, merchants yeah. of doubt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're basically like, they're looking for a result and they're funding the study and then, uh, it's not really science. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think the climate stuff too, right? Like that was in, that was in merchants of doubt. Yep. Well, um, oh, yeah. Cause it was like the yeah. same researchers who were doing all yeah. of those studies. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, that also ties into COVID as well. I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, there, there's some fishy stuff going on too, I think on. Oh yeah. Well, I'm gonna be so... I, mean, I don't even know. I, I know you posted about, um, hydroxychloroquine, which I, I'm not well-versed on at all. And I just, I saw you post on it and got like a ridiculous number of replies. I didn't even look. So Dude, I, that was I, a weird thing about it, but I, it seems like from what people post on Twitter, it's almost like a, uh, tribal thing, like whether you believe yeah. it or not. I uh, no it, was, it was really strange right now. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I basically what I published was there was that Yale epidemiologist guy who wrote an article in Newsweek about how hydroxychloroquine could be like the cure for COVID. And there are a lot of good criticisms of the post, and I shared a few of them. And yeah, you know, I, I, I think that. that his post actually doesn't really hold up. I think that there were some. I think the criticisms were stronger than his post. Yeah. Um. But it was, you know, I, I was. I probably should have phrased the original tweet better because I was basically saying that like, it's clear that the hydroxychloroquine debate is like become very polarized and politicized. And so if there's a chance that it could be helpful and we're not talking about it because it's like got this strong association with Trump and people hating Trump, then the politicization of a medicine is like literally killing people. Right. Yeah. Um, and I said a, a less eloquent version of that, basically. And I was shocked at like how strong of a response that got because it's a it's a medicine. Right. It's not a it's not a debate about, you know, gun statistics and police brutality. It's like we're talking about whether a medicine could be helpful. Right. Not yeah. not even not necessarily the cure, but, you know, the question in my head was if you knew you had COVID really early and you had the opportunity to take a bunch of hydroxychloroquine, is there a chance it could help? And what are the chances it would hurt you? Right. And that's sort of the question I was trying to answer and that I feel like the jury's still a little out on, but it was really interesting to me. But yeah, the, the response to it was super like polarized on both sides where you, you had a number of people who were saying like, oh yeah, it's like, fake news is trying to hide stuff that could be really helpful. And then there was a lot of like, basically like you're a bad person for even wanting to talk about this. And then I'd say there was a third group of what were very clearly bots. Like, really? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to link to the tweet in the show notes, but go back and look at some of the responses and we bring it up. Let me see if I can find it. Um, because there are a bunch of bots on Twitter, it's, but it was the first strange. time. It was the first time that I had shared something and gotten responses where I was like, "This is not a real human." Like this is a I don't know, you know, who is making it? You know, is it part of like the Russian bot thing? Is it yeah. some other say, organization? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was really, really strange to see it, and that was part of what made me think, like, "Oh, there really is actually." Uh, an area in Twitter of kind of like <clears throat> robots criticizing stuff. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Some of the tweets are gone now, so they must have 
than bots, maybe. I think they must have been bots that got deleted by Twitter or something. Yeah. Uh, so that's super interesting to see too. But I, it was such a strange, like, I don't know. I, I don't even know what the right term for it is. But it really made me go like, oh, like even medicine is kind of political now. It's really strange. Um, yeah, it's it's really strange. I mean, there's um, like with with uh, drugs in particular, there's. I don't know what the right, like you mentioned earlier about like not trusting the FDA. It's like, it's very interesting to think about who their actual customer is, right? Or like who, right. you know, who they care about. It's I, okay. I'm not an expert on this. So I, I just have like a personal experience with them. So I don't want to, I don't want to say this is like blanket true. Um, but like, so my father has, has ALS, which you know, but uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people in the audience may or may not know. And so there's, there was no drug approved, I believe between the nineties and like 2018, um, which is when he was diagnosed. And then this, this drug got uh, approved in a very controversial way because the data was actually very unclear um, and it requires three IV infusions uh, per week, which are three to four hours long each, right? So Gosh. it's like very, very hard to do them at home. So you basically have to be either staying at like a nursing home or, um, you know, there are home care that, that would do it, but it's very difficult. And it's also super expensive. Like the drug is covered by most insurances and it's covered by Medicare. Um, but I think it's like $150,000 a year or something. Like it's, oh it's very, very expensive. Oh yeah. And the, the net benefit is almost, uh, even in their trial was like almost, almost zero. Um, like it barely even slowed down the disease, but it was safe. Right. So that was like the one, uh, I think that was like the main criteria they were looking for, but it got approved. Um, they have a bunch of people using it. Although like now the ALS community is pretty, um, against it just because of like the pain of what it, you know, having to do three to four hour infusions three times right. a week is pretty annoying for very little benefit, uh, you know, from a quality of life standpoint. So like a lot of people don't use it anymore, but when it came out, like the first two years, a lot of people were using it. Um, that's funded and, and owned by a large pharma company. Uh, there's another drug that's in phase three, that's a stem cell treatment. They started like 10 years ago in the process. And basically it's an Israeli company very small there. Um, so their stock has gone up a lot in the last couple of years because, or the last like year in particular, because the, uh, the approval should come pretty soon. Uh, so now the market cap is higher, but it's still only like, I think three, $400 million company. Uh, mm-hmm. it was like 20, $30 million, like <laughs> company not too long ago, very, very small. Uh, so they have a, a stem cell treatment that in phase two did, did phenomenal, uh, so they, you know, they were in phase three, they're in phase three now. Uh, they had a, ch- so they've been trying to get like early approval. And the, the weirdest thing when it comes to this, this is like where I really don't trust the FDA anymore because of this. Like, so Trump uh, signed a, a law, I think it was 2018 or 2017 called right to try, which is basically if you have a fatal disease and there's no like drug on the market that actually helps with it, uh, you have the right to try drugs that are in phase three. And that's true. You do have that. Um, but the FDA didn't change a rule that basically still says, uh, because honestly, like if you want to use a drug, you can use it. But if it's not covered by insurance, you're paying out of pocket and all the companies want to get covered by insurance, right? So anything that right. affects or hurts that process, they're not going to voluntarily do. So this small company, like, yes, they have the, they are legally allowed to offer their treatment to anybody right now uh, who has the disease. They won't do it because the FDA says that if you if they do it, they have to include all the data that is generated from those additional patients in the phase three trial. 
which is going to result in a lot of negative outcomes, obviously. Right. Because oh, like yeah. the sickest people are the most desperate to take it and will pay the, you know, whatever hundreds of thousands out of pocket for it. Uh, so it, they feel like it's going to harm their approval rate. Right. So the, uh, or the chances of them getting approval. So it's like this weird, like incentive structure right now where nobody, I guess like the patient is not the customer at the end of the day. Right. It's like the company needs to get approval from insurance. And for that, they have to pass phase three. If they right. don't pass phase three, it's not going to get covered by insurance, even if it's available under right to try. Uh, so from a company standpoint, that's their incentive. They like they're, they need the insurance company's approval. And the FDA is not like, you know, we've had conversations with people at the FDA. My parents both worked in, in the health industry. So we had uh, some relationships like they can't compel a company to manufacture and sell you a drug. Right. Uh, right. So that's not allowed either. So it's like this weird dichotomy. And then uh, it just kind of shows you like the, you know, at least in, I don't know about other countries, healthcare systems. I, from what I've heard, they're not, they have their own issues, but um, at least in our healthcare system, the patient very often is not really the customer, right? It's like the insurance company and the drug company um, are are sort of who the system is designed for. Uh, And then the patient is like part of that, but it's not like, you know, I feel like in a, in a mark, not a mark purely market driven system, but any system where like the use end user is the customer, that's who you optimize it for. Like, you know, when you're making a product or, you know, you have your, your agency, for example, right? Like the like the SEO ranking (laughs) is like what you optimize for. Like if it's, if it's good, that means you're doing a good job. If it's bad, it means you're doing a bad job. There's not like a third party that's paying you. That's like, well, yeah, we don't really care if it works, but if it pat, you know, you pass this like certification that we will pay you. Uh, like it's, yep. there's, there's not like a third party payer system, I guess. Um, yeah, it's and very that, broken it, incentives. Yeah. It, it's broken incentives, but then it leads to like messed up outcomes too, at the same time. Uh, and that's, probably partially what's happening with the hydroxychloroquine stuff too right it's like who because it's not a from what i remember at least it's a generic drug right so there's not really like a ton of money to be made either off of it like is it is it generic or is it still on patent um because if it's generic then nobody's really making a ton of money off it even yeah yeah it's all just marketing at that point Uh, i don't know but uh, it looks like generic. Yeah. It's, I think it's generic from what it looks like. Um, but yeah, but I mean, meanwhile, like the other thing on the, <laughs> the FDA stuff is like how quickly they're, the vaccines are coming out, which is right. impressive, but it also makes you wonder like how many other conditions have not gotten that same kind of attention. I get why COVID needs yeah. like, you know, the number of cases and all that, but there's a lot of diseases out there. <laughs> Well, and and this is, you know, again, in, in the topic of unpopular things to say about COVID, it's quite a bit less lethal than a lot of other things that kill a lot of people in the U.S. for which treatments do not get rushed through this quickly, yeah. right? Yeah. Or like a lot of other problems. I mean, the number of people who are dying from obesity and certain cancers and cardiovascular disease and stuff and like all conditions that, you know, we should address and you know, certain medicines for those can't get pushed through as quickly because there is like this hype element to it. Right. And yeah, it's I medicines. Think- it's, it's also, it's a hype element. It's the feeling that anybody can get it. Yeah. Right? I think that's part of it too. It's like, there's this general broad based fear that they've been able to, uh, well, not they've been able to, who like, I don't know who they is in this case, but, <laughs> uh, that, that, that the media has made everybody feel, I guess. Right. It's like, yeah. That, like well, and there is a very them. legitimate, there's the very legitimate issue of like our whole lifestyle has had to change in response to it. It's like, we can't go back to working in office buildings until we figure something out with this, which, 
is like so wild, right? Yeah. Um, Because the the only reason it's less fatal now is that we've changed how we live. Um, Yeah. If everybody just continued the way, continued to live the way they had before in a lot of parts of the country, it would be way worse. Um, So, you know, there there is that element to it. But I, I just, it, to your point, it has to be frustrating to see some of this stuff being like sped through uh, those normal testing delays, not because, and not that there's any shortcuts being taken, but just because this is how fast the agency can move when it wants to, right? Yeah. Yep. But then normally it has no incentive to move quickly, and so yeah, would... and it's I mean it's not just like you know the, like it's not just ALS. There's a lot of other conditions that's like the same kind of thing. Like drugs have been in in the pipeline for ten years or eight years or whatever, and you know it's like they're going to go at their own their own pace, and in the meantime people die and and more people get sick and stuff and. It, it is frustrating in one sense. And it's like, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. It's like those examples people give for when, I think when COVID was starting, people were saying more, you know, giving these examples more, but like the world war two examples, right? Like how, like what a society is actually capable of when it right. wants to. Uh, and not like you can't, you can't sustain that all the time, obviously. Right. But it's like, it has been fascinating to watch like how many, and, and I guess with the vaccines, like, It'll be interesting because if, if let's say they all do work or a significant portion of them work or at the minimum, they don't have any negative effects. Like maybe they, you know, this could be a new model of working at least for certain diseases, right? They can like yeah. change a priority level or something like maybe, you know, it's kind of reminds me like the four minute mile thing, right? Like until it was done once, like it was impossible. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then like everybody was not everybody, right? But like then it started getting broken a lot. Uh, maybe it's like that right? Like maybe when, let's say there is a vaccine out within a year, like that would be game changing if, you know, if that does change kind of the timeline for everything, like that would be pretty cool. If that is, that's yeah. like an optimistic way of looking at it. Well, it didn't Russia just approve a vaccine that only went through like phase two testing or something. Yeah. I have no I, idea. I heard something what, about that. What, <laughs> what the legitimacy Sounds is. like something Russia would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? It might, it might work. I'm, I'm, I'm not like saying it's terrible just cause it's from Russia, but, uh, yeah, I just don't, I have no idea, like, you know, what yeah, their, yeah. what's their baseline? What's the, uh, you know, is it like Putin's like, well, this better be approved or. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, you know, very yeah. different incentives over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't take that one too seriously. I, like, I think the country I would have taken even less seriously is if like North Korea was saying that they had a, a vaccine. <laughs> well, North North Korea never had any cases. Of They're course. all immune to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dear leader protected them. Yeah. Although, wait, he's dead now, isn't he? Didn't he I die? have no... That's another one that, like... Yeah, that's another thing. We just have no idea, died. right? Yeah, like, he died, and then he was not dead, and then... I don't know. I, I heard Back the original, to life. I heard the original death thing was, like, he supposedly was testing if, like, who was loyal to him or something. Oh. Uh, so I don't know. Again, that's a, I don't know if that's real or not, but that's a fun thing to think about. Make for a good like TV episode or something. Seriously, a documentary. Um, I mean, with North Korea, like, what if they're just completely closed, right? And like nobody's going in and out. And they probably never did actually get many yeah. cases because they <laughs> are did. totally closed and it's so yeah. spread out. I mean, I don't think there's too many bars in North Korea. No, no, I don't. Actually, that's a good question. Maybe, I mean, I know I they make know. they make wine in North Korea, so they. They must serve it somewhere. Must, I've had yeah, I've had North Korean wine. No way. What's the story behind that? Uh, we went to the DMZ in South Korea, and it was like one of the only places where you could actually buy some goods from North Korea. Oh, wow. And they had like North Korean wine. It wasn't very good. It was super sweet, but it was cool 
to like yeah, you, drink it. That's that's amazing. No, I had no I had no idea they made wine. Yeah, interesting. So they, I mean, they must drink. Like, I feel like, dude, if you live in North Korea, places. you're drinking all exactly. the time. Yeah, there is nothing say. else to do there but be sad and drink. That Sorry, and that's really harsh. They probably, need, but, they probably need some. They probably have cigarettes too. Oh yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, but anyway, yeah, I could I could actually see when when they said that I was like first I laughed, then I was like, yeah, maybe if they're like totally <laughs> locked out, maybe it's like. You know, there's possible they didn't have anybody come in and yeah. uh, and never spread. But yeah, I mean, I'd be very surprised, and we would never know even if they did. <laughs> they no, would never, no. yeah, be impossible to tell. This I kind of feel like that with China too. I wonder if other countries feel like that about the United States. Like with the United probably States, probably now. I, mean, I bet. I bet yeah. right now they feel that way. It's like That's there's so I'm much saying. insanity yeah. going on here. Yep. And like, I think once Trump was elected, the rest of the world was like, "All right, well, they've lost their shit." So. Yeah. <laughs> We can't believe anything out of there anymore. Yeah, because I, mean, I mean that's how I feel about China too. Is like when I hear numbers from China, like they'll say like uh, I think those you know any even like economic numbers, I, I like always yeah. discount it. I'm like, well, I don't know. Sounds good. I don't know right. if that's real. <laughs> but then I always I always wonder with some of that stuff. It's like, are we the ones who are just yep. making up that they're bad, or are yep. they actually yep. bad? It's or like, like the, what is it? The uh, is that 1984? Yeah, yeah. Or no, well, maybe, although, yeah. okay, so actually interesting topic on this. So I started writing about the whole um, Uyghur, 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 I can't remember. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Genocide that's going yeah, on Yeah, I know China. what you're talking about. Yeah. Like the, the whole Muslim population. And that was another weird one where I started getting like these strange emails from people in China, like vaguely threatening, sort what? of being like, so like, yeah, there was, there was at least one or two that were like, you clearly really don't understand the situation. And you know, I really think it would be best for you if you didn't misrepresent China in your newsletter because there are a lot of people in China who read it and you wouldn't want to like be misinforming them. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> what is this? Wow. It was it, it was really strange because of of every of any topic I've brought up in my newsletter before, I got the most pushback by saying that we should care about Muslims being killed in China. Right. And was the pushback from people you knew at all, or was it? No, no, no. It was it was, like it, was like, yeah. it was all from Chinese people. Yeah, it was all from people who were clearly, like, well, okay, their names were fairly clearly Chinese, and it didn't seem like English was their first language. So they did, they weren't necessarily Chinese, but that was sort of my assumption based yeah. on all of their emails and the tweets and stuff. And I was just like, this is so strange. And then you know, I had to go back and look through the sources, and I was like, are we sure this is what's really going on over there? And it was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is what's actually going on. But all of these people clearly believed that there was no, there were no like concentration camps or like mass migration or anything. And that it was just like American propaganda. Right. Hmm. Uh, but then, you know, it, it of course made me start questioning things. Right. It's like, yep. well, you know, what, what do we, what else do we believe that might actually be propaganda or, um, you know, what, what is propaganda in the country or what is propaganda that's being exported out of the country, right? Like, yeah. And yeah. I think that we've seen this a lot with the Trump presidency where there's a lot of propaganda on both sides, like for and against him. And yeah. it's really accelerated the whole distrust of media um, ever since the election, right? It's probably accelerated a lot. I, I feel like it's probably, it's, I'm guessing it's always been there. I mean, there's something, uh, a nice rabbit hole if you ever want to go down that rabbit hole of uh operation mockingbird have you ever heard of that uh i know the name but remind me what it's about let me pull up the exact uh one so i don't have to make it up um 
they say it's alleged. I don't think it's alleged, but anyway, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> on, uh, on Wikipedia, which, you know, who, uh, oh no, actually this is, this says confirmed actually. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. Well, there's, there's the confirmed and the unconfirmed part. The confirmed part was the, uh, was a wiretapping operation initiated by us president JFK to identify sources of leaks by eavesdropping on journalists. So that was the confirmed part. The unconfirmed part was, uh, an alleged large scale program of the CIA that began in the cold in the early years of the cold war and attempted to manipulate news media for propaganda purposes. Supposedly mm-hmm. funded student and cultural organizations as well as magazines as front organizations for the CIA. Um, there are some very interesting things if you go down this this rabbit hole of yeah, uh, right. known CIA front companies and um, some. Let's just say some of their relationships with uh, people in the media that are well known. <laughs> I'll let I'll let the audience go down that that rabbit hole. Cool. Uh, but yeah, there's there's some stuff around that that like will also have you questioning uh, like what's propaganda that we believe right about other countries and our own country. Uh, So there's some interesting stuff. Like it's hard to like have any anchors, right. When you go down these, going back to what we were talking about before, like having the, like a a cognizant and clear worldview and people are like looking for that. uh, It it is scary to be like floating around in this like ether of, I don't know what's true. Yeah. Uh, So I can see why people are looking for, for clarity uh but it's it's really hard like if you really start going as you're talking about with uh the rabbit hole that you went down after some of those china responses like it, it's hard to know like what's propaganda what's real and as you said it's accelerated i would i agree like since 2016 yeah it i don't know man i just like i don't trust anything anymore it's like even <laughs> even with the election right it's like i really don't think trump is gonna win but i also like kind of think he still might like there's yeah i I have no i just remember what sentiment was like in 2016 and now everyone was like oh this is like ridiculous there's no way he's gonna win right like hillary's got it and i just i'm worried that we're doing the exact same thing right and i have i have no idea i also have like no idea like i feel like at that time i i was pretty certain he was gonna lose actually (laughs) like uh yeah like i was in that camp and uh of of being certain and now i'm like this time i just feel like i have no i have no sense of what's real like you'll see one poll that says one thing and another poll that says another thing and then like they, even if those two polls agree, I'm like, wait, should I believe the polls? Cause of like 26, you know, it's like, it, it, I just don't have any anchor uh, yeah. or, or any sense of like what's real or not. Uh, and and then the other thing is like combined with COVID, right? <laughs> like how that's going oh, to yeah. wrench into everything. Well, and that, uh, that's a really yeah. interesting force because usually when a country or usually when the U S is in crisis and like, I haven't fact checked these numbers, so this could be totally made up, but from other things that I've read, usually when a country's in crisis, they keep the current leader. Like there's yeah. less desire to like vote them out and replace them. And, you know, we're still in such like a bad crisis mentality. And, you know, I just, I feel like there's so much of America that is not represented by like the microcosm of thought that the like whole coastal elite crowd that, you know, we're definitely part of yeah, uh is twitter like to? the twitter bubble <laughs> yeah yeah see. the twitter bubble. like the part of twitter that we're in i guess <laughs> you know that's what i mean like yeah. there's many parts of twitter that we are not probably exposed to at all 
Yeah. And it's like the, the world or, you know, the country clearly has is sort of like still very fearful. And I don't know if that means that they replace Trump or that they keep him because they're afraid of change. It's like Cabela's has been sold out of bullets for the last yeah. three months. Like that is crazy. It's yeah. one of the biggest sporting shops in the country and they can't keep like handgun ammunition in stock for more than an hour. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I mean, that tells you something. That's yeah. Like, it tells that's, you that's like, like a, something like about the mentality. Point. Right. Yeah. yeah. And when I, when I heard that, I was like, I was just sort of blown away. I was like, wow, you know, we, the COVID stuff, the initial freakouts ended in March, but we're still in that mentality. And then obviously there's all of the like rioting and protesting that's been going on. And so that's creating a fearful mentality, but like which force is stronger, the, the reactions to all of that or the, you know, the push from like the protesting crowd that wants his authority out. Right. Like, I don't know which, is stronger which one's going to win and i feel well, like where I, where I was going with the covid part was was like the unclearness even of uh what's the right term the legitimacy of the election right like yeah that's going to be a really like and this is actually where I, I i think the the like stocking up part that part uh makes total logical sense to me regardless of which side somebody is on just because you don't know what like this is kind of unprecedented and i think i, I don't know uh for sure but I think it's unprecedented in that no matter who loses or whoever wins, I should say, whoever wins, like their legitimacy of their win will be questioned. Uh, I kind of feel like that's inevitable. Like it doesn't even matter the margin. It doesn't matter. Like nothing really matters. I feel like, you know, regardless of who loses, they're going to be, they're going to say it was either cheating or it was manipulation or it was hacking or, you know, whatever the the reason that is used is going to be. It just seems that it's not going to be clean. Um, Yeah. And then that's where things can get messy. So that's like, that's the part that I think is a little scary, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be weird. So I'm glad we're starting the podcast back up. Yeah. Uh, so you guys can hear <laughs> our bad takes in real time. Like it might be by the time this comes out, it's like, you know, <laughs> none of this is, is, uh, is relevant but i I doubt that i feel like well this this episode won't take much editing so we can probably get it out in a couple days yeah yeah so hopefully it's not outdated but uh yeah yeah. no you know (laughs) those couple of days coronavirus will be cured everybody will be back in uh back in the office and (laughs) it'll be all the police yeah it'll all be done (laughs) uh actually one last point uh before we wrap up um I think you said this in one of the episodes. I don't, I have no idea which one somebody who's listened to all of them once or twice can maybe tell us, uh, you said something about how school is often like daycare, right? Or like, yeah. uh, yeah. And I feel like that's so prominently clear now, dude. I like, so, and you were this so is... right about that. I, I, I didn't see it as clearly at that time. Like now I see it so clearly. Well, and there's, there's a couple of like points in here that, I think get lost in the reopening schools debate. And uh, this is another area where I have such a hard time with how like politically charged the opening schools discussion is because we, the economy kind of needs schools as subsidized daycare and as food distribution for that part's important. Really important. Yeah. And I don't think that the food distribution question has been challenged. So you've got, all of these kids growing up in houses that are, you know, very limited resources and they need free meals for their families to be able to sustain them better. And then those families are going to have an even harder time sustaining their kids because they have to stay home and take care of them instead of going into work. 
And also a lot of those families are going to be lower income, probably working in like service or in-person jobs that have been disproportionately affected by COVID. And it's like such a crazy downward force on like lower to lower middle income earners. And that I feel like it's completely lost in the reopening schools discussion. I mean, we have to, you have to consider like, would it be better if all of these you know, kids got these pretty mild COVID cases because it does seem relatively mild, but their parents were able to keep their jobs and keep food on their plates, right? Yeah. Or, you know, or if you're not going to send the kids back to school, then we need some sort of UBI for all of those families because the idea that somebody who has to work two to three service jobs at a time to keep food on their kids' plates when they're getting a free lunch is going to be able to take care of them when they no longer have daycare, no longer have a free lunch, and have to be home all the time. Like it's insane. It just, yeah, it just and we're not going to restaurants sense. anymore. It just doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yep. So I like yep. it's been so frustrating to me. I, I really feel like COVID so far has been one of the biggest forces in increasing wealth disparity ever. Oh, definitely. It's uh I don't know if you you follow uh Adam Townsend on, yeah, yeah. on Twitter. I mean, this is like exactly what he talks about. Um I think you'll have some more periscopes soon about this. Like he and I DM about it here and there, and um this is like something he's been harping on since day one to his credit like he said this is going to be the biggest he calls it like the biggest roll up of power in history yeah Uh, like he is not this is like the weird thing is he's like very bearish on the average american's uh quality of life let's say Mm -hmm. you know like let's say lower middle class to below um and but yet very bullish on the stock market and at first that didn't make sense to me. So I didn't, it was like one of those things I didn't want to call him out publicly for it. I just sent him a DM. I was like, I don't get, I don't understand this. Uh, can you maybe explain it for me? And he basically said, it's like, you know, I'm very bullish on what he calls them. Like the cartels, like the Amazons, like the Boeings, like the companies that are basically in prime, like number one market position in whatever right. market they're in, provided they're not in a market that's getting completely disrupted by COVID. Right. So Amazon is the best example. Uh, it's been a great boost for them. But then it's a great boost from two angles. It's a great boost in terms of the demand of of their service, but then it's also a great boost in the sense that their retail competitors are just getting decimated, right? Yeah. So like even post COVID, they're not going to have many competitors. Like you might have Walmart and Target and you know maybe a handful of others, but like yeah, retail is just completely screwed through COVID. Like they were already in in trouble. They were already on their on on their heels, right? But like this is this is just whacked them over the head, and I mean they're. That's just one one example. Like Amazon's just one example. But this is like so he was saying, like, you know, Amazon, I'm very bullish on. Uh, if you somebody invests in Amazon stock, like it's probably a lot of room to still go up, even though it's gone up a lot. Uh, and for the foreseeable future. And yet, like, that doesn't translate to the average American, let's say. Right. Uh, so to your point of like wealth disparity, I, I completely agree. Well, yeah, that and I think it really highlighted and this sounds kind of bad, but it's like how little those businesses are actually factors in the economy, quote unquote, right? It's like all in-person businesses basically shut down and the stock market went up. Yeah. Although those might be unrelated. Like Exactly. That, that's what I'm saying <laughs> is that they're, yeah. they're like unrelated in the sense that you can have 25% of the country out of work, but 
the the most you know the biggest players in the economy are still growing because there's been so much concentration of like value and purchasing like in those businesses yeah. right and like we saw this at growth machine with a lot of our e-commerce clients where covid hit and their business like doubled in the span of a month or two yeah because you know nobody was going to wine shops anymore they were ordering wine online or you know everybody was like bringing their business online so they needed more like consumer SaaS tools just all of yeah. this stuff like exploded meanwhile all these other businesses are you know rapidly dying and it's just like there's so many different forces going on i think the real estate market we still don't know how that's going to shake out where you've got all these people not paying rent or defaulting on their mortgages and we don't know what's going to happen there same thing with commercial real estate like what's going to happen to all of these uh, big yeah. leases, right? And luckily, the, a lot of those are like nine, twelve, fifteen-year leases. So it's going to be a long time for that to shake out. But, but did you see? Uh, you saw what Pinterest did in San Francisco? No, what they do? They paid ninety million dollars to get out of their lease, like a one-time <laughs> just oh to God. just to get out. And I think they had a massive space. It was like a, I think it was like four hundred thousand square feet is what I saw. Wow. It was a That's massive wild. space that they had taken on. Yeah, I think it was like not just them. It was like their headquarters plus they. There was like some other stuff they were doing in there that it was like retail space that they had the lease for, but then they were subleasing it and stuff. But they uh, they paid the landlord. I forget who it was. Like one of the big commercial real estate companies, uh, a ninety million dollar like negotiated upfront fee just to just to get out of it. And they said they're going remote. Um, so yeah, it's like <laughs> you know that's that you're right. That's a that's a market that we'll see what happens. Uh, Dude, I don't think the remote's going to stick though. I think that a I lot of these so. companies are going to walk it back. You know, I think it's it's going to be certain types of companies that can do it, right? Like, yeah, I think companies, smaller companies, for sure, I think can keep it up, like as remote, right? Like largely, uh, like I don't know. Would you do you see Growth Machine having an office at some point? No, I don't see us ever having an office. But we were remote from day one, and we hired exactly. for remote. That's, yep, and you know, it's like we've been it's sort of like built into the architecture. I think that that's what I mean. I mean, like your type of company, I don't see now going to an office you know what i mean like i think that'll stay remote uh but yeah i like for the bigger companies there's no way like i don't think it'll stay fully well i mean i don't want to say no way it could it could be on the flip Uh, side i think there will be a few things right like they're going to save all this money on office space they're going to realize that a lot of their employees weren't doing anything and so they'll fire them and all of their employees are going to move to lower cost of living places and so they'll end up getting cost of living salary adjustments and do you think that it'll reduce salaries? Yeah. Well, some of them have already said they're going to do it. I think Facebook oh, said wow. they're going to do it. Yeah. That's such a Facebook um, thing to do. <laughs> well, the, their explanation, which I actually find kind of compelling, is that if they don't adjust the salaries down to the local market rates, then they could be sued for wage discrimination. Mm. Right. So if they're paying, if there's two people who are doing the same job in, Nashville and one's getting paid 180 and the other one's getting paid, you know, 110. Uh, you open yeah. yourself up to a lot yeah. of liability. So you it's the exact have, same job, same title, same job, same title. Yeah. Exactly. So you have to adjust it down. Uh, and then that actually makes a know, lot of sense. Yeah. They could, you can't they could be saving again for that same. Yeah. But then that person who's moving from the Bay area to Nashville is saving a lot of money too. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they'll probably, it'll still be worth it for them. Yeah. But then Facebook is saving $100 million a year in salary and getting the exact same work. And so they're going to be like, eh, this is pretty sweet. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe we don't need to be in person, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so curious to see what the next couple of years are going to look like. That's with, actually with, another thing that uh, Adam called <laughs> in March. Oh, yeah? He said that, oh, yeah. He said the digital, like he was saying, the, uh, 
the large, he's a big tech, I think is what he called it. He's a big tech has been waiting to, to do something like this, uh, right. like push to remote. And then exactly what we just described. And he was saying that's going to translate to straight profit in the bottom line. Well, it's kind of like uh, 2008 where the recession was an excuse to fire all the underperforming employees. Yeah. And then they just yep. never replaced them because they didn't need them, but they never had a reason to fire them before. And it although, was like, okay. Uh, although this is, well, I, you're hundred percent right about 2008, but Adam's like next stage uh, which I, again, I don't know if he's right. This is just like, this part hasn't happened yet. Just the part that you, we just saw happen did happen. But um, he was saying then the next step though, is the, uh, is kind of like the globalization of it. So kind of like similar to what we talked about in sovereign individual, right. That like, if you can hire from anywhere in the world, yeah, uh, you know, you don't have to hire the expensive American. So like, I know, I think it was in his Periscope. He said how English is becoming a more, more and more of a commodity as it's spread. Um, so more play, like, you know, you see with Upwork or other platforms like that, there's a lot of people are from almost everybody's from other countries. Yeah. Uh, and the English is surprisingly good for some, I mean, there are some, right. That don't speak English that well, but at least written English is, is solid uh, for a lot of people. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so if you, you know, if you don't have to hire that software engineer in San Francisco, maybe you can hire him in Nashville, but then like the next step is instead of Nashville, maybe you can hire them in Bangalore or mm-hmm. like, you know, some other country that's low cost relative to the U S uh, and now instead of paying 110, you're paying like 30 or 40. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that adds up at the scale that these companies are at. That'd be huge. Yeah. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what happens with that. I mean, a lot of companies already do it, right? Like Deloitte and those consulting firms, they have their overseas teams in India and whatnot, and they hand off work to them at the end of the day and they do stuff overnight and hand it back to them. But they charge U.S. Uh, billing rates for yeah. those parts. So. <laughs> well, yeah, and Deloitte charges <laughs> their clients. That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, associate charge, rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great deal if you're Deloitte, not so much yeah. if you're... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like that'll bring, that'll bring uh, probably wages up in other countries, but I wonder if it'll drive it down uh, in the U.S. I mean, I don't know. Like, it just... I mean, it goes back to uh, consolidation and, like, wealth inequality, as you're talking about. Like, the value right. of being an owner... Uh, of owning equity in, in particular has never been better, right? Because you can get more leverage than ever before. Uh, and then on the other hand, the kind of the cost of being uh, an employee has never been higher. It doesn't mean you, there's bad, there's not good, like there's great employee situations too. Uh, but just as like a class, right? A class of owners versus a class of employees. Uh, it's probably tougher now as an employee in terms of getting leverage over your employer than ever before. Definitely. Unless you have some unique skill, right? Or like something unique that you bring to the table. Which Yeah, you're, you're not going to be able to just be really good at one thing like software development anymore. You're going to have to have some other useful ability like, you know, also managing other engineers or, um, you know, bringing something more to the table than just raw ability in a small domain. Yeah. I think you've talked about that before too. I think we've talked like, about it a lot on yeah. the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's just like future-proofing yourself, right? Yeah. Like, having more scalable abilities. It's a good way to prevent yourself from getting outsourced. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, another thing I got to give you some credit for, cause you're one of the, one of the inspirations for this is like, you know, I was going I think we started talking about it at the very beginning, but uh, since COVID, like everything has gone remote. So it's actually helped me since I haven't had the ability to travel for a while. Yeah. Uh, so it's helped me because I can do all sorts of work now. And uh, you know, nobody expects me to like, even if it's like a little workshop or something, right. Based on my book or based on some of the other stuff I've done. Uh, I don't have to, like, nobody's expecting me to like, Oh, come to our, you know, accelerator in Cleveland or, uh, you know, right. whatever. Uh, it's not part of, and if you say, Oh, I want to do it remote. 
uh, people used to look at you weird or be like, well, really? Like, how do we do that? Now it's like just expected. So um, it's, it has helped me quite a bit, but my time constraints are still there of like, you know, given the caregiving situation, I, I work maybe like, I'd say about three hours on average a day. Right. So it's to like mm-hmm. get a lot of work done in those three hours. I've finally, it took me years to get to this, but like finally started, you know, looking more at like automations and uh, you know, just being like using tools like that are out there that have been out there uh, that I've been maybe a little stubborn to use, <laughs> uh, you know, like even little things like Airtable or uh, uh, I mean like Zapier I've, I've used a little bit now. And I mean, like there's like, there are a lot of things out there to kind of give yourself more leverage, uh, yeah. save yourself time, which um, I mean, even though those tools like an hour bubble feel like they're everywhere, they're still so rare in the broader kind of business world. Like have people don't with, even know uh, about them. Have you played with Rome yet? I was that was just going to be my segue uh, <laughs> to Rome. Is I have not, uh, but it is it is on my list to check out. Um, you know, I've never actually really like I I have a Notion account, but I haven't really gotten into it. Uh, I'm still a Google Docs person for the most part. Yeah, uh, but I, I I do want to try out Rome because like I think I saw maybe you posted a video or I saw it some maybe you just retweeted it, but just like the relationships that can be built between ideas. Um, I thought were really cool. Like, it's so great. Yeah. It's it's my favorite tool I've used. I can like, tell. I yeah. can, if anybody follows Nat, you know this is like <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is an unofficial advocate for um. Yeah. No, but it it seems super useful from everything you've shared. So it's yeah, yeah. it's on my list to check out for sure. Uh, Sweet. Well, should we tell everyone what uh, the next book is going to be? Yeah. Then they can, if they want to speed read it and look, well, cause we're going to record next week. So it probably yeah. will be another week. Yeah. They'll probably have a couple weeks. They yeah. They it. might have, because I might just go ahead and publish this like tomorrow with basically no editing. Yeah. We'll take out, we'll take out when I went to the bathroom, but that's basically <laughs> you know, all that it. needs to be changed. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So we're doing, uh, we're doing scale, uh, which is by actually you probably remember that. I don't remember. Jeffrey West or Joffrey West. I'm not, it's one of the two. Yeah. But, Super it, cool book. It screams made you think. Like I yeah, mean, yeah, all, it's, all it's very made you thinky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got statistics, science, yeah, ish stuff. Businesses, math, businesses, cities, history. Okay. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So if y'all want to breeze through it before next week and a half or so, go to it. Or maybe you're listening to this in you know four years since. <laughs> well, then your podcast is going to be around out. forever. It's already out. Yeah, so then it's already out. Go. You can just go on to the next episode. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I guess we, yeah, we have to do uh, we have to do show notes for this one because we referenced a bunch of stuff. Um, I guess I can do that. So no, I, um, well, uh, Amanda, who's working with me now, I'm gonna give her uh, kind of like give her some SOP stuff and she'll yeah. cool. start on it. Hi, Amanda. Everyone. Yeah, Andres turned off or Andres stopped doing his podcast business. So yeah, because he's doing some other stuff now. I know. I, yeah, exactly. He's got a lot of other cool projects going on. So yeah, Andres, but, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. <laughs> you did you did a yes. lot of hard work dealing with our uh, what was it? Some of our uh, edits that had to be done. Dude, some or, of those earlier episodes where I we know. were both in my apartment and like there was all the hallway oh, noise yeah, and the, the sirens yeah. and the pepper noise. <laughs> yep. And Oh man, that was when we switched to doing it remotely after I moved out, he was so happy <laughs> so, because then so there were the easier. two tracks also, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got the tracks. two tracks. Exactly. Yep. 
Oh yeah, it probably saved him so much time. Yeah, I bet the first yeah. ones he was probably like, "Why uh, I'm charging too little for this? Like, this is not <laughs> seriously. <laughs> this is not worth it." Uh, but yeah, so we will have this episode out soon. Uh, the next episode is scale. We haven't decided. Well, actually, we did decide what's after that. I just haven't we started have a couple that. Ideas, right? What did we yeah. decide was after that? Uh, I thought we were gonna do energy and Civ. Oh yeah, we can do energy and Civ. That's a great one. Yeah, I haven't read that, but it's an, there's a lot of common themes with uh, with scale. So yeah, well, it yeah, seems it's like a good it's right? a good segue. Yeah, uh, yeah. So expect cool. episodes every three to four weeks. I think we're gonna try to take it a little slower, a little easier. And dude, we have like it's funny. This was our catch up episode. I don't think we caught up on like hardly anything that's <laughs> going on. Yeah, this is like, more like catch up slash current events. Slash yeah, this is more like a current events, just like hang out and episodes. talk for two hours, reference old episodes, which is great. Yeah. But we'll, we'll just have to interweave stuff that's gone on in the last year and a half in the next episode. So I like, feel like that's how we that's how we did it in the other episodes anyway. We would always yeah, interweave stuff. Exactly. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll start doing like the pre-roll uh, at some point again. Remember when we used to do that? Oh, yeah, we had like the, like the bonus minutes. pre-roll. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was cool. You know, people actually listened to that. That was the. I know the people liked thing. it. Yeah, people like that. Well, and we can uh, always do. We can always do what we're doing now. Where at the end, we kind of like stop talking about the book and just like hang and catch up. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. if anybody has ideas on that too, uh, let us know if there's let ideas for whether it's you know you're interested in uh, bonus material, ideas for bonus material. Hit us up. Yeah, but I think we're gonna try to keep it keep it easy. So minimal editing. No messing with Patreon or anything like that. Just hanging out, talking about books, having a good time, making people think. Yep, that's the, that's the goal. Make you yep. think. Make you think. Maybe make you laugh a yeah. couple times. Make you cry. <laughs> make you cry. Yeah, make you feel yeah. all the emotions. Make you enraged. <laughs> that no, you got other you got other places. No. You got CNN, yeah, exactly. You, you go to you Twitter for that. You got Twitter. Hopefully we don't make anyone enraged. I'm sure somebody. I'm sure we've made somebody really angry at some point. Oh yeah, remember our uh, our voices really pissed one person off. Oh yeah, with the yeah. the vocal fry. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy though. I think about that every time I'm on a podcast now. <laughs> so yeah. they they kind of did us a they favor. Got in our head. Yeah, but yeah, they got in our head. It helped. Yeah, yeah. They're living rent free. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, Neil, I missed you. Glad we got to do this and excited to do scale next week. Yeah, me too. This is this is gonna be awesome. And uh welcome back, everybody. We are welcome back.